Mucho gusto, and welcome to another episode of Detective Writer. I'm your host, Sally, aka Detective Writer, and today I am super duper excited to introduce all of you to a brand new guest, fellow author, Anna J. Stewart. Anna, thank you so much for being here. I am so, so honored that you're here. Thank you. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, of course. So if you don't mind, I'd definitely love to get started and ask you a little bit about what inspired you to write, what was your motivations, determinations, like what was your inspiration to write? Well, I think I kind of fell into it by accident uh, back in high school, which was a long time ago. Um, I had just discovered romance novels uh, freshman year of high school, so I was about 14. And uh, Nora Roberts got me hooked. And shortly after, a group of friends and I started writing what now we would call fan fiction. But they were like mini romances featuring ourselves hooked up with our favorite uh, rock stars, that kind of thing. So um, everybody else eventually moved on, and I didn't. Uh, the stories just got longer and more involved and overtook everything pretty soon. It was all, I, in fact, I was a horrible student in high school because I either had my nose in a book or I was writing stories. So, um, I think you're a good student then. Well, yeah, in some <laughs> ways, but when it came to like, I mean, they moved me from algebra into accounting because I was that bad in algebra. So it was, no, I just didn't care about algebra. And, you know, I think that's that's part of the problem with high school is a lot of times you're just starting to figure yourself out. And if I'm the kind of person who, if I'm not interested in it, I'm not going to pay attention to it. Um, I will say, though, that I did have a fabulous teacher in college and I got an A. So a uh, teacher can also make all the difference. Definitely. But I th- I think um, I think what I discovered, especially when I hit college and I was changing majors like every semester because I found something new I was interested in, it finally clicked that, oh, if you write books, you can be all of these things, you know, in the length it takes, in the length of time it takes me to write a book, I can be a reporter or I can be a forensic scientist or I can be whatever, I can live it out through the book and I can move on to something new. So. Um, Unfortunately, it took me a good five years in a community college to figure that out. But um, in the meantime, I had taken classes and so many different things that uh, finally, um, and it took a long time after that to get serious about the writing because writing doesn't pay unless you're publishing. And at this point, there was no self-publishing. Self-publishing wasn't an option back when I started. Um, There was vanity press and there was traditional publishing. And for me, traditional publishing has always been the dream. It remains the dream. Uh, I'm horrible at self-publishing. I'm horrible at self-promo and that kind of stuff. So uh, it took me a long time and a lot of uh, retail jobs. And I worked as an author assistant uh, to Brenda Novak, where I really got to learn the ins and outs of the business from the inside, which was great and a great education for what I really wanted to do. And then finally, um, I went to a workshop with Mary Buckham, and one of her questions to everybody was, imagine yourself in five years and you're not published. And I had this light bulb moment that I am not getting another five years into my life without getting published. And I, you know, I got down to business and I stopped playing at it and started focusing on it. 
and the next year I finaled in a national contest, got my first agent, and another two years after that I got contracted by both Berkeley and Harlequin. So um, I'm a firm believer in is when you are ready for it, it will happen. Uh, you might think you are ready for it before you actually are, but that's that was really my journey and those were my lessons. I definitely love that and thank you so much for being so open about that because I completely agree in school I wasn't the worst student I was like a generally good student but when it came to math and science I passed chemistry through the skin of my teeth and it just Mm -hmm. like I remember thinking to myself my mom was an accounting major so she loved anything numbers and I would ask myself how is it possible that you love finance and accounting and all that stuff and I I am the complete opposite. So I Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I get that. My father was, um, who was out of my life after I was 10. But, you know, growing up, he worked partly as an engineer. So he was wired that way. I am not by any means. I mean, give me, uh, you know, give me an essay exam over a multiple choice test. I will ace that thing. I will flunk any multiple choice test you put in front of me, but I will ace any essay. So it's uh, leaning into your strengths is a good way also to get yourself moving forward, especially in a, in a tricky industry like publishing. It definitely is. And you actually bring up a really great point, how you knew that another five years, you did not want to not be published. And I gotta oh, say, I gotta freak, I freaking love your determination because I, for, I was only able to do self-publishing for myself for my first and only book. Um, even though I had interned for Penguin Random House back in college, about seven weeks into it, I ended up transferring working from home because the pandemic made it real. Mm. But I remember just trying to really get my foot out the door and really trying to get people to really give me a chance. And even with the connections I made, it was still so hard. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with a company called New Degree Press. No, I don't think so. They're a self-publishing company. They're really great. Everything is yours. I knew that I wanted to I wanted to be a writer. And I love the fact that you emphasized that you knew that you wanted to go. You just went for it. You didn't want to wait another five years. The book isn't a bestseller, but I knew that I did it. And I wanted to, I strove to do the one thing I right. did my whole life. So I give you That's props. That's great. I give you props. Oh, well, thank you. And now you need to get to the next dream take the next step up and see what's next for you we'll see because if you have any tips please feel free to let me know because i think you know living in new york city my whole life there's so many opportunities out here but i also feel like you know it's a big apple but i also feel like sometimes i feel like a little worm that just has to move my way through this apple to really get what i to really want to see what i want to do next yeah i also i also find like just so interesting because i remember you said that you have five books out and your book comes out in november and you focused a lot about missing unsolved cases and i definitely love to ask you what was your motivation to make books based on that so um i write in two romance genres i write uh, straight sweet contemporary romances uh and by straight, I mean contemporary romance. There's no other element. I don't mean straight sexuality-wise. No, no worries. Although my, although my characters are, are, are male-female, but um, I love reading uh, same-sex romances. They're awesome, and there's tons of them out right now, which is fabulous. But um, So I do also write just plain contemporary romances, uh, small-town stuff, Hallmark story-type uh, romances. But... Um, 
my first love is actually paranormal romance, which I tried for years to sell to and nobody was biting because I don't write anything that can be easily boxed in. I don't write vampires or werewolves or something that's easily defined. Um, I have big worlds and whole new things that publishing just doesn't really know what to do with. But uh, so the step, the step back for that for me was suspense and the Harlequin uh, romantic suspense line was originally called Silhouette Intimate Moments. They always had like a little bit element danger as the line went on before it changed its name and Nora Roberts wrote in that line. So uh, for me writing suspense with thriller aspects really was appealing. I also grew up reading Stephen King and Dean Koontz and um, you know all hell Stephen King. Carrie was I read Carrie when I was eight. Uh, because back in the 70s, there were no young adult books. You were either reading Dick and Jane Go to School, or you jumped into fiction. So I was reading Stephen King at a really early age, so I think I had that dark element kind of implanted early on. And then reading Dean Koontz, who is such a master of threading in horror elements with romance elements with suspense I mean he puts everything into his books and that's the kind of book I really want to write so for me romantic suspense and thrillers really kind of feed into that so when I was given the opportunity by Ark, Ark Manor and this is after I'd written six or seven books for Harlequin romantic suspense um they said what do you want to write and I said, well, what I really want to write is paranormal. And they said, okay, what do you want to write besides paranormal? Since they're a science fiction fantasy house, they were trying to branch out into romance. And paranormal was just, I think, a little too close to the fantasy and science fiction era. So um, I said, well, I've got this general idea for uh, kind of an L.A. Confidential meets Women's Murder Club. And my editor just went, oh, my God, I want it which was great because I didn't have to write a synopsis. I didn't have to write a blurb or anything. She's just like, okay, we're going to contract. We're going to do this. So it actually, I have it here. That became the first book that's oh, wow. exposed. It's right here. That became the first book in the Circle of the Red Lily series. And for me, it was an opportunity to write about subjects that just fascinate me. Going back to what I was saying in high school when I was so bored because nothing interested me. But the idea of uh, unsolved, disappearances, unsolved murders, secret society lurking within the whole underpinnings of Hollywood, which I'm a total movie and TV junkie. So um, the idea of diving into that. And also I grew up on Shirley Temple and Marilyn Monroe and all those types of movies, old Hollywood. So having the opportunity to have a publisher say, write what you want and being able to create this world with a huge mystery suspense element that tracks through what will be five books. Uh, I recently turned in book two, which will be out in November. It was really just, um, it was it was freeing in a way because I didn't have any boundaries placed on me. She was literally like, write what you wanna write. We'll look at the book, we'll make changes that we have to make. But for the most part, everything you see in the final product for Exposed is what I turned in that you, you stroke for something I personally feel like I struggled writing romance a little bit in my book and it's so interesting because I actually made my character bisexual even though I'm a straight woman I when I was giving my my book to my cousin to read she said you don't have a lot of LGBTQ representation and because she's actually bisexual I was like you know what 
why don't we do that? I definitely might do that. So I made my characters from a love interest from being Jake to Jane, and I felt like getting mm-hmm. so many different opinions, like really, like how to really incorporate like different aspects. It's definitely it was kind of inspirational, and I it's ins- it is inspirational. It's also tricky though because, um, you know, I have written characters of color. And I struggle so much because clearly I am not a person of color. I have not lived an experience of any person of color. So it adds an extra layer of, of stress to writing stories authentically. And I finally had a talk with a friend of mine who is, um, she's like, she's, she's black and she's Native American and she's, I forgot what else she is. There's some Asian in there. And I asked her, I said, I don't know how to approach this character. I was literally frozen. And she said, well, how important is it that this character is black? And I said, well, she walked on the page that way. That was just how she appeared. And she says, well, if it's important to the story that she be black, then you need to put in elements of that experience. But she says, if it's not necessarily ingrained into the story as a whole, she says, then it's not your place to insert an experience you don't have one with. So that was that was really, really helpful. That said, I tend I tend to write characters I can identify with just because I don't want to accidentally misrepresent something that could be taken in the wrong way. I definitely hear that. And even speaking with other authors, they've said like a few authors who I've discussed with, they are there are men, but they've always found it fascinating to write sort of like a female fatale a femme mm-hmm. fatale if, if I like the sound pronouncing femme right. fatale yeah. yeah and they've always said like sometimes they felt a little bit of having the experience of imposter syndrome because they know that they're never mm. going to be you know a femme fatale they're not necessarily going to be people of color so they sometimes feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome but ways that they've even found to combine that like combat that was just you know like really like getting to know their characters really getting to speak to other people of different um, cultures, backgrounds, etc. And it just really helped them like get to know a little bit more of their character. So can I ask you, have you ever had yeah. that experience of going through imposter as you were writing characters who may necessarily be a little different from you? I've had that experience, that's why. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely had that with, um, is this the book? Yeah, actually, with the P.I.'s Deadly Charade. Um, my heroine's black, or at least she's, she's biracial. Her mother is from... Cajun Louisiana and her father's white um I didn't I didn't necessarily I didn't give her any uh racial issues within the story mainly because when I'm running for Harlequin uh we don't deal with that uh people are people that's just, that's you know that's that's pretty much it yeah. but what I did need to do was get the physicality of it correct and uh, ironically enough I did a lot of research into uh, black women's hair uh, because when she came on the page I had described her in such a way that I knew I have curly hair myself so I know that that's its own kind of issue Beautiful. so yeah so I learned like I learned you don't just a person of color in the pool. Uh, there is a whole thing about uh, that they have to do to their hair to prepare in order to go anywhere near chlorine. So that was actually something I was able to work into the book as kind of a, a lighthearted moment. 
but at the same time uh, and, and learning how to describe skin color in a way that was respectful and not demeaning and I think that's one of the learning curves a lot of authors have been on for the last few years is learning how to incorporate uh, characters of color in a respectful way and in a realistic way um, that that doesn't detract and and puts a spotlight saying oh look i'm trying to be different i'm trying to include all of this kind of stuff it's a really interesting balance to try to to try to achieve and it's very stressful <laughs> very stressful when you're coming from a completely different perspective even though i am a person of color i didn't want to necessarily focus my book my character being as that and even though i right. am straight you know writing a bisexual character it was so different because i was just like i don't want to really face my book on too much romance i don't really want to get too many flashbacks with the characters former mm -hmm. love interest and i felt like from even getting like not necessarily approval or validation but from my cousin and even another friend who are both bisexual they were just like you know what you did such a great job you didn't focus on the romance you just like gave us an inkling of the character's motivations like why she was right. so struggling why she was struggling for revenge why she's seeking hatred and just pure bloodthirsty revenge i was like that was the best that was like one of the best feedback i could have ever gotten because i didn't want to necessarily focus on romance but i wanted to like give the character like the sort of input that I didn't want her to be well liked but I also didn't want her to be disliked too much I wanted to right. her as first like the you wanted her to be complicated I wanted her 100% the anti-hero yeah that you had to get to know from the beginning throughout the end to really understand okay Sasha at first is not really nice but you can see yeah. why soon in the future and I love well, that part. and this is this is why one of uh, actually I'm giving this workshop next weekend to a local writers group is I am so focused on motivation. You know, there's goal motivation and conflict. That's something that I learned early on when I first started uh, focusing on writing and learning everything that I could about writing. And GMC, goal motivation conflict, was always so forefront. Uh, mainly because romance novels, in particular, they deal with relationships. And, you know, romance gets a really bad rap as being uh, Too slitty mushy. and not very interesting. But at the same time, isn't that what everybody on this planet strives to achieve? So um, trying to set aside and, you know, uh, really denigrate a genre that is dedicated to human emotion and relationships really always just annoys the crap out of me. But that said... Um, motivation for me is always the key i used to say it was conflict between the characters but for the individual characters motivation is absolutely tantamount to exploring a character fully why a character acts the way that they do explains why they are in your case uh, unlikable uh, in your character's case excuse me yeah. um why your characters are unlikable and what drives her to live her life in the way that right on that biggest struggles you know really trying to write my character as this big anti-hero but I also because I feel like for me a lot of hero stories you know you can just tell from the beginning you know they're the good guys they're not really complicated they may have like one or two bad histories but like it's just so predictable and I felt like I didn't really want to base her like that I really wanted to bring yeah. her as just this character that someone who's been in foster care I've never been in foster care someone who's just really had like such a traumatic life that 
I wanted to bring a little bit more justice to show that in real life, not everybody's path is set in stone. We don't necessarily right. like everybody. And first impressions in real life can are not necessarily the best. So I really wanted to just, I really wanted to bring this point that, you know, at first we're all guilty of it. Sometimes we can judge a book by its cover, like by the blurb, I will go to a book and if I don't see it as interesting, I will feel like, okay, I need to like really, really need to dig deeper. How do I like break that barrier and just show Mm -hmm. my character may not be likable, but there's something as to the reason why she may not be likable. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always, it's always the why with me. The why is so, so important because I have very, I have a couple of very unlikable characters in my books. In fact, I have one in particular that most people come back to me and go, man, she was hard to like. And I'm like, yeah, but you know why she was hard to like, Yes, you know? There, and you know, especially with somebody you're writing about, like coming out of the foster care system and someone who's been battered around by life, they're going to have trust issues, and trust issues often come across as hostile, which makes people think that they're not likable, but that's not really what it is. So, it's, yeah, the why is always so important. I, I definitely love that, and I definitely wanted to ask you as well. Like, I remember that you said that you were inspired by old history, by old Hollywood and notorious mm-hmm. cases like Black Dahlia or even things like that. Can I ask you, what inspired you most of, the, of these cases? Because I, I find them so fascinating to know that even through time, we still haven't solved these cases. So like, can I ask what was your motivation to be? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know what it is, but I think so many of us have this I don't know, it's a weird fascination. I I think it's unanswered questions. I think really that's what drives us. Um, I went through a period of time, this was, you know, in college when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I thought about becoming a forensic profiler. Uh, A lot of that had to do with there was a show called Profiler on, and I thought, oh, that would be a really interesting gig to psychoanalyze criminals like they do on Criminal Minds or like uh, John Douglas does in uh, the series of books that he wrote. He was actually the FBI agent who began the profiling unit within the FBI, and he's written some great true crime books about how that came to be. The uh, Netflix show Mindhunter was actually based on that first book, and oh my god, that show is, I'm still mad that it's not getting a third season, but I digress. Um, So I think it's that it's that unanswered question and the possibilities of what the answers might be that really uh, capture my imagination. So um, I remember uh, reading, I think it was Elmore Leonard who wrote a book on the Black Dahlia. He wrote a fictionalized version of the Black Dahlia's murder case. And I remember reading that and um, just thinking that the whole idea that somebody could be murdered in the way that Elizabeth Short was murdered and there's really no answer to what actually happened. You know, this also goes back to like Jack the Ripper. What are all the theories about who Jack the Ripper really was? And now there's a new, is it a new book that just came out uh, that actually profiles the victims of Jack the Ripper. And, you know, all these years we've had a certain uh, knowledge or we, we thought we had a certain knowledge about who these women were. And it turns out that that probably wasn't any of it was true. So um, it kind of puts a whole new flip on, on on the possibilities of what the truth of what happened actually was. So I think when it came to creating this secret society called the Circle of the Red Lily within the books that I'm writing, um, I really wanted that mysterious, shadowy, who can you trust, who might be involved, 
who's covering up for them uh if we go this way are we going to find out one thing and if we go this way are we going to run into another roadblock that kind of thing so it, it to me presenting an overarching story with a secret society that's determined to stay secret that's it is it's just yeah it, it's it's mind-blowing to me just to see like how many cases even from way back when still remain unsolved today and I would like to think that with the technology that we have, you know, hopefully we can bring about these cases to light. And even through, you know, my blog and my podcast, sometimes I will discuss unsolved cases. And I will just like, it. I will even talk about cases that happened like in the Philippines, Mexico. And it's mm-hmm. sort of my hope. Maybe it's a little far-fetched, but I feel like with the more cases that we bring about to light, I would love to be able to help people find out clues as to when this happened, maybe present the motive, and then we can hopefully bring more justice is to these cases because I I just can't help but understand it's like for so many cases and I I actually remember seeing a video once where someone posted this video saying men versus women men will watch football versus women are exploring true crime and they're researching everything and just spending their lives on it and I just find like I felt like that was exactly me I would be literally working through case files of 1940s, 1950s, and just trying to really like pinpoint what was happening. And I think yeah. I've spent so much more time on it than I probably should. But it was just well, yeah. But it's also it's also a kind of nurturing, isn't it? Because I think women are designed as caretakers, and when you've got unanswered questions and you're thinking about not only the people had the crime perpetrated upon them, but the people that they left behind, the people who don't have answers. And I actually wrote a, a trilogy of books for Harlequin. It's my um, honor, the first three books in my Honor Bound series. My first heroine, who happens to be that heroine I was talking about, who some readers found a little bit unlikable, is she does exactly what She started a blog and she started investigating cold case crimes that police and law enforcement had had to move on because they've got other cases to deal with so those forgotten cases that had left families without answers she was determined to get answers she just goes a little overboard and ends up you know playing chicken with a serial killer but um her whole reason is to find the answers for people who didn't who weren't able to get them because she as a child lost a friend and they did not for 20 years have an answer as to what had happened to her. So they're again going back to motivation. So I think as as I think women are more likely to do that, not that they are the only ones who are doing that because there are plenty of yeah. men working on cold cases yeah. and bringing it to attention. But um, I think your desire to dig deeper into cases and shine a light on some cases, probably people have never heard of, it's a form of nurturing. To say that because there are moments where I then this was my mistake like I feel like it just made me a lot more cautious especially like when I'm out in public a lot of people oh, yeah. I will discover like oh, this woman got abducted and was never seen again walking to her car or in the subway and I live in New York City so I feel like in over so many cases it's made me so immensely overprotective like I look so I'm so much more cautious now that my family said, this is your fault. You like researching about death. And I said, but I'm trying to keep us safe. And this was actually yeah. my problem. It would be two or three in the morning. And I am researching and looking up the most gruesome, 
gruesome of cases. And then all of a sudden, I will hear a random sound or hear a shadow that I, I eventually have to like stop what I'm doing and listen to Baby Shark or something to like really gain my regain my faith in humanity. Right. This was my problem. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have seen every single episode of Criminal Minds multiple times, and it took me years to be able to actually use an Uber or a Lyft, yes. because that was actually the first place I'd ever heard of ride sharing or you know ride sharing uh, programs. And I remember thinking at the time, oh my god, this is like the perfect way to abduct somebody. So it was just like, okay, yeah, it, it took a lot of years to get over. I have, well, yeah, and then, in fact, I use this in my new book that comes out in November. The fact, and I do this, is every time I get into my car, my purse goes in the back seat. It doesn't go in the seat next to me. It goes in the back seat because that means I've opened the door and I've checked the back seat. How many murders on television could have been could have been stopped if somebody had just looked in the freaking back seat? But that's one of those lessons that you learn watching watching and reading about the kinds of cases that are that are really they're both fascinating and terrifying it definitely is and i find it super like incredible because my family says you're just overreacting nothing is gonna happen i said you don't know that i'm not looking for anybody to be the next i find my family they will tell me just relax you're gonna be fine and i'm thinking to myself listen I hear, I live in New York, and I will hear how many cases about something going on in the subway. And I am walking downstairs or something. I still have to be cautious. Man, woman, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. And I think, I'd like to think that we're doing, that we're doing much more good than we think. Because, you know, the only thing I ever want is to bring these cases to light that maybe people aren't hearing about or maybe haven't heard about. I remember it. I'm not sure if you. I think you've already heard about it. This um, this woman got into this man's Uber, um, Samantha Josephson, and she thought it wasn't her Uber, but it wasn't her Uber, and he unfortunately ended up taking her life. And it just brings so much more awareness that even for the most common, simple mistakes, we still have to be careful. We still have to keep oh, yeah. an eye out. And even for like the way that Elizabeth Short was murdered, and for anybody who is triggered by this, I. You, please feel free to skip ahead but that woman was just butchered and nobody ever mm-hmm. came to light or even the 1912 case of the the Vilaseca Axe murder house and I just cannot but wonder like there are so many researchers that, that we have today I keep asking why haven't we solved so many of these cases like Jack the Ripper or even the Tylenol killings like I find myself mm-hmm. asking like why haven't we done enough? Why can't we find enough research to combine enough resources and hopefully solve these cases? Yeah, I think, but I think the sad reality is that we're getting even more heinous crimes now that can be solved and all of the resources and attention is, I mean, look at the backlog of rape kits that they have in so many different states. And I think it's uh, Mariska Hargitay actually, who started a charity to raise money to be able to get those test kits tested. So that's really what, uh, yeah, I think it's just that things things are still just so horrific. And they're, I think, and they're even more horrific now because they're in the public eye so much more because of social media and because of 24-hour news cycles and chirons and everything, you can't get away from it. So it's a lot more difficult to hide something yeah. than it was, say, in the 1940s when Elizabeth Short was murdered. And it took 
you know, over two weeks for the news to reach the East Coast that she had been murdered in the West Coast. So it was, it, it's, it's things like that. The, the more progress we make, the, le- the more we leave what's important behind. especially through since we have access to a lot of media to a lot of resources especially through oral communication as well i'd like to think that maybe we can bring just a little bit more like a lot more awareness and like you said we're nurturing we're doing much more good than we think and Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I always strive to. Even when I bring in new authors and I understand like their passions for writing thriller or even just bringing cases to light, it's just utterly amazing to know that how much of a difference we actually can make. You know, like it's just absolutely incredible. Well, yeah, and you and you couple that with the fact that I write romantic thrillers. Yeah, which means there will be a happy it. ending. It is a guaranteed happy ending at the end of every romantic suspense, which is one of the things I love about the genre. Is it doesn't matter how dark or how disturbing it actually gets, you know, when you turn that last page, that those two people are going to be happily ever after, or happily for now, and that makes it a good, satisfying read that leaves you with a feeling of uh, uplifting rather than dread when you close the close the book on something that's unsolved Definitely. always have a solution at the end of a romantic suspense i know can you give me some tips on how to write romance i feel like i'm so bad at writing romance i read it it's just if so you mushy. read it it'll help it's so mushy i can't i can't no no they're not all they're not all mushy and i think that's part of the misconception about romance honestly uh it depends on like i write very sweet small town romances but I also have a lot of conflict between the hero and the heroine because it should be a struggle to find how the two people fit together. It shouldn't just be love at first sight and everything's okay. It should be attraction at first sight, let's work through this and see how we come to join two completely different lives into one. That's what real romance novels do. and people think that there's a formula and that it's really easy to write it is excruciating to write it is very difficult to write because you're you're dealing with people who don't want to change what they have to change in order and we do the same thing in real life right in order when you find the person you think you belong to it's going to take some compromise and some work to get to the point where you want to spend the rest of your lives together every single person out there who's married you have had your own romance novel you have lived your own romance novel it's just that there are a lot of people out there who can put it into words and um uh you know and put it on the page so when it comes to romance it's really about the realistic expectations of um of a relationship and yes some are very saccharine sweet and schmaltzy and hallmarky and but there's a place for that because it's pure escapism. It's turning your brain off and just watch these two people fall in love. And it gives you such a feeling of hope. And that's really what um, an author friend of mine calls it. It's the genre of hope because you know at the end of that book, you're gonna get a happily ever after. And it can be difficult getting there. But as long as they're together in the end, you're giving your reader something that's really important. And that's an uplifting feeling. So as far as giving you uh, tips on how to write romance better, start reading romance and read it across the genre. Read the sweet, sickly ones. Read, um, there's tons of LGBTQ romances out there right now. Harlequin is actually uh, publishing quite a few. They have their first uh, female-female 
romance coming out on the Desire Line, written by a friend of mine, Sophia Sassoon, uh, and it's Bollywood. It takes place in Bollywood. So um, there is such a wide breadth of what's out there. Um, and I'm happy to give you a list of authors that I think would be great for you who write both thrillers and suspense, but also some who just write straight romance that'll give you a really good idea for the genre that it, it's yeah. not all Hallmark, believe me. Thank you. And no disrespect to Hallmark. I definitely love Hallmark. But I, I remember even getting a suggestion from someone, why don't you write Fifty Shades of Grey type romance? I'm like, oh, now you don't want to have that a conversation little, with me. A little... That's okay. a little... I have sworn myself to, um, I, I'm not going to yuck on anybody's yum. If Fifty Shades is what you like, that's awesome. Speaking from somebody who has written 50 plus romances, Fifty Shades of Grace is not representative of the romance genre. And I could go into a number of reasons why, but it is not. It is not representative. And there's, and the fact that she has only written those books is evidence of that. You know, I always feel like everybody's always room to improve i'm not those yeah. writers but you know all to each their own i gotta say 50 shades of gray i didn't even suggest you know to write about that a little bit you know to really try to incorporate aspects like that i'm like personally i don't think i'm that i'm it's not really my type of genre i do then you shouldn't write it yeah i've been suggested yeah. so many times to write that and i feel like but it's like stuff like romance is I really struggle because I feel like I would just write pure escapism. Not that it's wrong, but I also feel like I like to incorporate like a little bit more of reality into it. So it's like, for those of you who are lucky to experience love at first sight, more power to you. I have yet to experience that. I have experienced attraction at first sight. I've not even, I've never even gotten married. So it's like, uh, I want to, I don't, I wouldn't know how to write, a, write about something I've never experienced. You know what I mean? Well, you can because I'm not married. I've never been married. I'm, I just turned 53, so I'm not probably going to get married. It comes from reading uh, and, you know, being around other people who are in relationships and observing people. Um, the great thing about writing fiction is that it's made up. So, and I think that's probably one reason why I write really idealized heroes. I write really, really good guys, and that's probably because I've never been married. I, so I'm able I'm able to cling to that fantasy a little bit more I've than than some people have. I literally gotta say I feel like I'm learning from such a professional storyteller. I feel like so blessed right now because <laughs> I <laughs> because I feel like this is just the talk that I needed, especially because I have spoken to a few people, a few authors who said that they've like they felt like romance wasn't really their thing. Like even though a few of them are married, they've had they've gotten divorces and a few things like that. Like they've experienced like romance like diehard romance they just didn't know how to really incorporate that and i feel like that's mm -hmm. sort of for me because i i feel like i would i feel like i would i like i venture like more into the mystery vibe and even then mm -hmm. like sometimes even when i'm blogging podcasting i do find it's just so interesting to talk about stuff that's already happened like these unsolved crimes that i want to bring more awareness to or even just in high school bringing about short stories that i've written where to be to give you a spoiler the butler did it in one of my stories or like mm -hmm. like a 1950 style story where i wrote and the woman the woman's killer was never caught until 1985 and it just took so much 
research and technology that sort of brings me hope for what I'm hoping, you know, bring more justice. We bring more authors to communicate with one another and we bring about so many more stories. I feel maybe it's a little far fetched, but I feel like there's so many hopes I have for the world. No, that's that's really good. And I, I think it's important to note that you're writing what you feel a calling to write. Uh, you know, when I read my first romance, I closed that book and I went, this is what I want to write. I want to write about people who discover love and find a better way together. But you have focused your attention on unsolved crimes and uh, things that need answers. And it's a it's a calling that you have uh, that you feel hope for. So um, neither of us is wrong. It just is. We're both unique individuals, just like everybody else. We felt a calling Absolutely. Yes. And we started to go for it. And that goes for anybody here. Whether you want to yes. be a writer, you want to be a chef, or you want to be like an Amazon truck driver, as long as you feel the passion and devotion and the motivation to go after something, anything is possible. I'm a big Absolutely. believer that if you put passion and love into something, it's going to show. If you don't feel motivated to do something, then it's going to show as well. And I, yeah, I was going to say, that way. yeah, well, and you were saying that, you know, people have pushed you to putting more romance or writing romance and stuff oh like that. Gosh. If you're not passionate about what you're writing, it's going to show. Yeah. Your writing is not going to be interesting. It's not going to have any kind of heart or soul into it. You have to love what it is that you're writing about. So don't let anybody push you into writing romance if that isn't what you want to write or you don't have a passion for. I would recommend you reading some just because I think it will help in your storytelling for thrillers and suspense and anything else because it deals so much with emotions and how people think through things. Um, it's it, They're explorations of relationships. And when all is said and done, everything we do in our lives, most of it has to do with a relationship with somebody. So uh, romance is a great gateway into that, If even if you're not going to write about it, at least to educating yourself about what those emotions actually are and how they tie into other things that you are going to write. Definitely. And you definitely bring up an amazing point. Reading is so fundamental. I yes. can't tell you how many things I've learned, even just like reading a cookbook or reading a video on how to learn how to drive, which I don't know how to drive, but I... It's just, you live in New York, you don't have to. <laughs> but it's just, it's so fascinating to me. Like, I am the self-proclaimed bookworm. When I was growing up, you could not get me to leave a library. I, even when I'm on vacation, I will still be reading a book. I love reading Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I will read, like, different, like, different variations of people's stories, whether it's romance, whether it's trauma, whether it's just challenges. And I just find, like... It's just utterly amazing to me, like how much power and potential and creativity arises from just the book. And I'd like to think yes. that's what helped me learn English in the first place, because my first language is Spanish. But I remember in school, my professors, my teachers pretty much just giving me all these books to read and all these short stories. And it was just utterly fascinating to me that all of my life, whenever anybody asked me what I wanted to be, I said I was going to be a writer. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew I was going to get there because I think writing is just utterly fascinating. And I've even spoken to a few people themselves, even relatives or even authors in general. I find that if you can't say something, you can write it down. And mm. writing, I think, has so much more benefits than many of us even realize. Journaling, writing down how we feel, it's, yeah. it's healing. It's cathartic, yeah. It definitely is. <laughs> 
and I definitely would love to ask you when you have written your stories have you ever felt like like you like you were in touch with your character like you knew exactly what they were going to do what they were going to say like what their next locations were going to be without even writing the next chapter like did you ever feel like so connected deeply with your characters well yeah i i kind of have to be because uh i don't plot i don't plot out any of my books i write them i know how they're going to end that's one advantage to writing romance i know it's going to be a happily ever after uh the only thing i tend to plot out is really the overarching plot line of what happens to them but not what happens within them so everything i put on the page is kind of spur of the moment um a lot of times i um I do more research into who they are before I start the book than really I think I just and then I discover things as I'm going along. A lot of times not plotting right, you know, puts me into a corner because uh I get to a point and I realize something about my character and I went, "Oh, great. That means I have to go back to the beginning and thread that through the entire story." So, um I don't know whether or not that really answers your question or not, but yeah, because does. I don't plot and I and I don't have a lot I have a general idea of what the story is going to be when I sit down to start writing. Um but then I just kind of let it I let it go organically, mainly because I want to be surprised because if I'm surprised while I'm writing the story, hopefully the reader's going to be surprised when they read it. And that's always my goal. so many things that I write because I'm just sometimes I find myself getting stuck and I'm thinking okay if I really want to write this next point does it make sense if I ever go to a mechanic store does it make sense if I ever go to a hardware store and I find or kill somebody off I usually kill somebody off exactly or whether I wanted to make my main character my anti-hero Sasha be the killer as I would initially planned all along or after all of the growth that she's done throughout this book does it really make sense to have her be the killer but maybe have somebody else be the actual murderer and then i thought you know like there's so many plots with that i love i'm literally always seeking thanks to Stephen king the dun 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 effect. i love yeah. that yeah yeah i learned i learned that from him and i also learned it from a friend of mine uh, Allison Brennan who writes amazing thrillers and uh she says if i know who did it at the beginning i'm somehow i'm going to give it away in the book so she says i never know who the killer is until i get to the end and she says that way i'm surprised too and i've always kept that in mind when I, whenever i'm writing one of my suspense books is i don't want to know who it is i want to be surprised definitely because i feel like for myself i love even surprising myself like wow this completely makes sense and i know that i wrote the story but even then in the beginning i thought that me and my character were completely different opposites i thought that we were nothing alike my character dentro trauma as well as me but you know i've never been in the foster care system i'm not bisexual i'm not anything like my character but trauma is trauma it's universal i know and i didn't realize it but when i started writing more about my character I didn't realize just how alike we actually were that we're both mm. these were worked in progress who's just we've been misunderstood we've been people who've gone through a lot of stuff in our lives but you know what we're human and we yeah we're not perfect just like nobody in the world is but we're unique works of progress and I did not realize how connected I would feel to my character just like mm-hmm. that and I thought that we were complete opposites at first Yeah, it it's it's always really interesting to write a character that you 
that you think you don't identify with, and then it turns out there's always going to be something in the character that you do. I've written a lot of characters that I'm like, I don't know what I'm thinking writing about somebody like this. And then inevitably I'll end up bonding with them and thinking, oh, that's the kind of person you are. Okay. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting discovery process. It really is. And I think that's one of the most important things that I love about writing is that you never know where it's going to lead you. It can literally take you from one aspect to another. You can think about, okay, you like this aspect more. You want to go more romance. You want to go more genre. It's like the possibilities are endless. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And I definitely would love to ask you as well. When you, do you ever like have any tips for writers? Like if you ever feel like you're getting stuck when you're writing something, even if you don't do like outlines, plots, like do you ever find yourself getting stuck and not knowing like oh, how to every write? book. I hit, I hit the halfway point of every book and I'm done. I'm, I'm convinced I'm not going to get to the end of the book because I don't know where it's going. Um, so here's a fun fact. Once upon a time, I did not believe in writer's block. I thought it was a myth. And then COVID hit and uh yeah <laughs> and my mother got ill for a while so it was like the words just completely stopped um so first and foremost you step away from it and you give yourself some time and you concentrate on something else you binge watch something completely stupid you go for a walk uh sometimes it's a couple of hours you need away sometimes it's a couple of days sometimes it's a couple of months you know i have gone six months without writing before and mainly because I was dealing with stuff with my mom and I hope she's okay uh, now yes she's fine now thank god uh but um it was right at the beginning of COVID so everything kind of and I had deadlines and if I didn't meet deadlines I didn't get paid so it was a whole snowball thing that just completely robbed me of any ability to put a word on a page so I gave myself permission to walk away and I think that's most most important is it's okay not to write you don't have to write every day i know there are some authors out there who said you know uh, you're not a writer if you're writing every day um writers write whether it's in their minds and planning for what they're going to be doing or it's at the computer or whatever so there's that second if 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 you've gotten to a point in the story and you're like something's wrong with this i don't know what it is then you're going to want to pull back and what I tend to do is I look for where I dropped the conflict between the characters or where I dropped one of my character's motivations. Um, if I've forgotten to um, remind the readers what the goal of the story is. And usually for me, motivation, why the characters are acting the way that they are, that's usually my roadmap back to finding out. So I pull back and then I'm like, oh, this is where it went wrong. So then I delete everything that came afterwards, put it into a separate document, and then I pick up again. So um, a lot of times it's just about backtracking and figuring out where you might have gone wrong. That's the, story, that's the problem. And then if that isn't it, it could just be you need, some, need to give yourself a break and just don't write, don't write for a while and go start reading. Go pick up a book. Go pick up your favorite book. The book that you read over and over and over again. The book that made you fall in love with reading. 
that should help you get back on track with what why you fell in love with writing. I don't know if you ever heard this tip, but my professor, one, she actually said this, if you're really stuck and you're not sure what to write, you have two options. Either stop writing until something comes to you, or literally just write I don't know, I don't know, or IDK over and over and again until something comes out. I did not know how effective that would be. I will be writing I don't know, I don't know, and then as I look through my notes, I say dog got a bone and he went through a tree house. And I'm like, how is that possible? Writing I don't know, yes. I don't know, and then something comes out. Like, have you ever heard of that trick? I haven't. I'm going to try it, though. Because that sounds fabulous. I recommend it. Literally, you could just write I don't know, IDK, or no say, or whatever. And you just write repeatedly. And then I find myself just finding these random little things. Dog got a bone, or cat ate a tuna, or Sasha went down the graveyard. And I'm thinking, how did I write that? And I'm just... That's I'm really just good. I don't know. <laughs> The other, the other thing I found really helpful is uh, getting into the shower and washing my hair because you're using both sides of your brain when you're in the shower, but you're also not really thinking about anything but being in the shower. I have had more ideas. I actually had a friend of mine sent me a waterproof notepad for the shower wall because I come up with so many ideas in the shower that I can write down gotten myself through a lot of plot points doing that so water tends to help even just listening to water like waterfalls water always tends to bring me out of it yes and when i go to the beach or i'm at the or i'm at the pool or something i have this moments where thankfully we're getting we're during we're, we're entering summer now so i find myself that if i'm at the beach it doesn't matter what problems i'm having or if i really am not sure what to write and they're moving back and forth back and forth and all the, i'm just staring at the water and I find that it's the answer is so clear. Like I have an answer to my solution. I have an answer to my conflict. I have an answer to what I want to write next. And I, it just makes me think like no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what is going on in my mind, the waves are still going to be rushing back and forth. It's just like nobody's business. And yeah. Well, we all come from water, right? I mean, we live in water for the first nine months of our lives. Yeah. So for me, it's always felt like the ocean is one of my happy places. Oceans and waterfalls are two of my happy places. Um, and I actually, when I write, I listen to a CD that is very faint instrumental music beneath ocean waves. So I'm always listening to water when I write. And it seems to keep me pretty fluid. And I know when I have, I oftentimes I put my headphones in and I forget to turn on the music. Those are the difficult days of writing because I've forgotten to turn on the music. But it'll drop me right into the zone like that. So yeah, water is definitely a, a what would you call it? It, it trans, transmits yeah. creativity, I think. I find it easy, like if I'm literally not even sure to fall asleep, I will listen to ocean sound and that helps me. I'm probably like the only one in my family who actually likes the sound of thunder and rain. I don't know what it is. I love the sound of thunder. It's just mind-blowing. I don't know how I'm the only one in my family, and I just love thunder. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Like, if I'm literally waiting outside, and I'm waiting for the subway, and I, and I hear thunder, I will get excited, but I'm hoping that sort of it ends so that way I'm not walking home just completely drenched. But you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it if it rains much in California, but here we get plenty of rain. We didn't for about four years. We didn't last year. We got a lot finally, but yeah, hopefully we're back to norm. 
whatever course. norm is these days. I will happily share rain with California because <laughs> I need more Please sun here. I'm so tired of the cold. Like, not just respect to New York, but sometimes in the winter we will get like 30 degree weather below zero, and I'm like, this is the perfect day to write because I don't want to leave my house. Oh, and here I am freezing at 32 degrees in California. <laughs> We get like sometimes below twenty, and I think, how is how is a human supposed to function in this cold? Yeah, we're not. <laughs> Great, I always love chatting about writing and me too, and all kinds of stuff. So I have, I love talking too. So you know, me too. And I, it's all say, good. For those of you who may not see it, I love the fact that you have like a little square that says "Believe." I love that right there. That that was that's a Walt Disney quote actually, and it's a, if you believe in something, believe in it all the way. That was actually a gift from one of my critique partners, um, and I, I'm a I'm a Disney adult. I have my Imagine tattoo. Um, so Walt Walt Disney and imagination and all kind of stuff has always been a real I'm big inspiration for me. So. Disney baby, my mom raised me every single thing with Disney. I knew the Little Mermaid, Mulan, and I. Every Halloween, I was always dressed up as a Disney princess, so I freaking love that. <laughs> I, I don't have any tattoos. I would, I'm, I've always considered getting a Disney quote like "Let It Go" from Frozen, but the only thing is, is because I have such luck, like. Whenever I have to get like a shot or something, or they I, someone needs to draw blood, you can barely see my veins. So when I get poked and prodded by needles, it does not make me a big fan of needles. So you, you know what? I don't like needles depends, at all. It, it depends where you get it. Um, I put this off for years for the same reason because I'm like I don't want to deal with the pain. And I finally, my best friend and I, my needles. best friend was getting, yeah, my best friend was getting her third one, and she said, "Just come with me and see how it goes." And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. This didn't hurt at all. Like, at all. And it totally depends on where you get it. I have a so, very low pain tolerance. Like, I, I don't tolerate Yeah, pain. but you're a woman, so you have a higher one than most men. So you're already ahead of the game. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's not as painful as you think it might be. Because I kid you not, I always hate this part. I had to get, um, I had an endocrinologist and they had to test my hormone level. That test, they poked and prodded me eight times. And for that test, you're supposed to be completely relaxed because if your hormone levels, if you're detected stress or like a lot of tension or anxiety in your hormone levels, it goes extremely high. And right. I'm telling them, listen, I don't want to be rude, but you're hurting me. And the lady, it's like it was coming through one ear throughout the other. And I mean, all respect to love to nurses and doctors and anybody who's taking your blood. But I was getting poked and prodded eight times. You would, you think I got stabbed all over my arms. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if this is what a tattoo would feel like, I, I'm, I pass because I'm literally in such pain. And I'm like, all I can say is I am not coming back. Just know that because I am not, I was not stressed when I came in here. Now, if my hormone levels are detected a lot of stress, now you know why. Look at my arm. It's all your fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I do not like needles just for that reason. So <laughs> I do not like them at all because I, I was like, no way for a test where you're not supposed to have any stress you're yeah, eight, you think they figure out a better way to test it over eight times on each arm that is not possible <laughs> like no way <laughs> no way and i still look at that with a vengeance that's why i always say do we really have to do a blood test 
I mean, I don't, I have no aversion to needles. I just, I don't want to be poking it all the time. Yeah, no, I hear that. <laughs> the worst luck. Absolute worst luck. I think uh, all my books are available on Amazon. If anybody's interested in sweet romances. I'm going to grab one. Suspense. I'm grabbing one. <laughs> I feel like, oh my God, I, will, I hope you do come back soon, truly. I will come back anytime you want me to. Just drop me a note. Yes, I definitely will. And for those of you who have been listening to this podcast, I truly hope you've enjoyed it. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe. I hope you all have a great day, afternoon, evening, morning, or night, wherever you are in the world. Please stay tuned for next week. And until then, keep on soothing.